Well, hey there, everybody. Great to see all of you here today. I want to welcome you, whether you are a newcomer or an old-timer, uh, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, uh, we're glad you decided to worship with us today. And uh, to go along with that video, if you are a parent or a grandparent with a child entering first through fifth grade, I want to personally invite you to join us at this Parent and Me camp. Uh, we had a great time back in 2019, and I'm excited that we get to do this again here in 2021. Uh, if you want to sign up, just go to campnorthward.org and click register. And you know, it is so important to be intentional about leading this next generation to know and follow Jesus. That is a high value at this church. And along those lines, I'm excited that next week we get to welcome our new next-gen minister, Jimmy Ranshaw. Uh, Jimmy is going to oversee the teams that lead our kids and our student ministry, and all of us will have the chance to connect with, Jenny, with Jimmy a week from today. Uh, we're going to have a reception after both services over in the Life Center, and we want to just give them a big Plum Creek welcome. Well, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed the first couple weeks of this sermon series going through the life of King David. You know, I, I feel like I've heard about David all my life, uh, but every time I go back to his story, I always learn something new, and that was definitely the case this week. Uh, today, we're going to compare David with another important person in the Bible, a man by the name of Saul. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you already know that Saul was the first king in Israel's history. Now, King David and King Saul were about as different as they could possibly be. But there's a lot we can learn from both of them, both how to live and how not to live. And this morning, we're going to zero in on just one principle that plays out across these two different lives. And if we can latch on to this one truth, we're going to understand how we should live, what life is all about. And I don't want to make you wait, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Our big takeaway for today is this. A truly great man is a man after God's own heart. And you might look at that and say, that's it? Uh, but trust me, this is a foundational principle. Uh, this is going to affect your entire life. It will affect all of your relationships. It'll affect your career, your personal contentment. Uh, this is huge. And just to state the obvious, uh, this principle is not just about men. It's also true that a great woman is a woman after God's own heart. Uh, but since we're focusing on two male characters this morning, uh, we're going to see a lot of lessons that are especially relevant for men. And I believe that's a good thing because our culture is in the middle of a crisis when it comes to men and masculinity. Uh, there's a lot we could say about this, but I'll, I'll just give you a quick uh, snapshot. In the, in the past few decades, uh, there's been a lot of research around this idea of masculinity. And this research often centers on stereotypes of the American male. Uh, in several studies, Thousands of people were asked to name words or phrases that they associate with masculinity. And several words rose to the top of the list. I'll give you just a few. Uh, for a lot of people, 
Here's what comes to mind when they think of men. Winning, emotional withdrawal, defiance, violence, dominance, a playboy persona, self-reliance, primacy of work, and pursuit of status. Now, I could go on, but I'll stop right there. And before I say anything else, I want to make something very clear. Masculinity, as God designed it, is not a bad thing, although some people seem to think so. Masculinity, God's version of manhood, it is a powerful force for good in this world. God's version of manhood, it's about courage and integrity, self-sacrifice, hard work, responsibility. It's about setting an example of loving God and loving others well. And, you know, I have known plenty of men that fit that description. Uh, My own dad is exhibit A. But this list right here, you know what that sounds like? To me, that sounds like James Bond. (laughs) It it definitely doesn't sound like Jesus. And, And this is not what we're shooting for, right? We know this. Women. Would you want to marry that kind of man? Parents, dads, is that what you want for your daughters? I know I don't. I heard a preacher talking about this list, and he said, if you're a guy, imagine meeting a girl or a young woman for the first time and introducing yourself based on this list. What would that be like? Like, uh, hey girl, I just want you to know that I'm a winner. I win at competitions, and I win at arguments. And yes, I get a little violent now and then. It's it's not a big deal. And just so you know, I will be the one to dominate this relationship. And, And work will come first, and I will embody the playboy persona. You can rest assured, you are not the first woman I have seduced. How's that speech gonna go over? Well, if that girl or that woman has any level of self-respect, she's going to slam the door in his face, right? So we're all familiar with this unhealthy version of masculinity. We've seen that. And this morning, we're going to see a few of these unhealthy traits in King Saul. In King David, though, we're going to see that better version of manhood. And the contrast is striking. Over in the New Testament, In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is preaching a sermon. And in this sermon, he's reviewing Israel's history. And in Acts 13, 21, Paul says, Then the people asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. So there's that big principle, right? It's our big takeaway for today. A truly great man is a man after God's own heart. Now, many of us are familiar with this phrase, a man after God's own heart, especially if you've been around church for a while. But we need to pause for a second and and make sure we understand what this phrase even means. Let's think about it. If you are a man or a woman after God's own heart, uh, what does that look like? Does that mean you are pursuing God? 
Or does it mean you resemble him, like, like you take after him? Well, the answer is both of those things. Anyone who is after God's heart is pursuing him and growing to become more like him. So here in the real world, how does that play out? Because you can't just quit your job and pray all day, every day. So what are we supposed to do here? Well, I heard a quote from a minister named Jared Wilson. And what he says applies here. He said, never hold on to anything tighter than you're holding on to God. But in the end, this is exactly what King Saul was doing. He was clinging to power and status. He was clinging to the praises of his people. And he held on to those things until his life completely imploded. Our story today stretches across the entire book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And in the beginning of this story, Saul starts out really well. He has a lot of positive characteristics. But by the end of 1 Samuel, Saul's life is destroyed. Now, I can't cover this story in depth this morning, but I can give you an overview. And we'll start here. When Saul was a boy growing up, the nation of Israel was led by God himself. Over time, though, the people decide they want a human king because all of their neighbors have a human king. And God warned them. He said, a human king is just going to bring you trouble. But he allows the people to choose, and they want that king. So at age 30, Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And, and like I said, at first... Saul seems like a strong leader. He talked a good game. He intimidated their enemies. Uh, look at this description in 1 Samuel 14, verse 48. That verse says, Saul fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. All right, way to go, Saul. You're out there winning battles. You're saving the people from the bad guys. It really looked like from the outside, Saul is just the man Israel needs. But there's a problem here, and it's a problem we're all susceptible to. We need to remember this advice. Don't buy the hype, because the outer persona often doesn't match the inner person. Now, that outward persona can be very convincing. Other people may look at you and think that you've got it all together. In fact, you may even convince yourself that the outer persona is the real you. But here's what I've seen over the years. I've seen that the outer man may look strong and confident, but the inner man may be hiding insecurity or pain or fear. Years ago, I, I had a friend. Um, he, he just seemed like the most confident man you could ever meet. He was a man's man. He loved fast cars and big trucks. He was an avid hunter. He drove a semi, and he was a big fan of power tools. Uh, he had this habit of grunting like Tim the Tool Man from Home Improvement. And as for his personality, he was like a bull in a china shop. He just didn't seem to be intimidated by anybody. But over the years that I knew him, I, I learned something. His outer persona didn't tell the whole story. He was actually like a lot of us. Inside, he was insecure. 
He was trying to prove himself. And eventually, his high stress level took a big toll on his health. And that was a helpful lesson for me. Don't buy the hype. Because we don't always know what's happening beneath the surface. It's, it's like the, the lesson from the first week of this series. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when God looked at Saul's heart, what did he see? God saw fear. This week, as I was reading through this story once again, I was really struck by the number of times Saul is described as a fearful man. Just a few examples. On the day when Saul is inaugurated as king, just before the ceremony, he freaks out. And the Bible says he hid among the supplies. And then there's also that fateful day when Saul blatantly disobeys an order from God. And Samuel informs Saul that God has rejected him as king. But why did Saul disobey God in the first place? Well, in 1 Samuel 15, Saul says, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Or what about our story from last week, when Goliath, the giant, steps out and he taunts the army of Israel? What was Saul's response? 1 Samuel 17, 11, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Later on, Saul is afraid of a particular young man who looks like a major threat to steal his throne. 1 Samuel 18, 12, Saul was afraid of David. And then just a few verses later, we read that Saul became still more afraid of David. So much fear. It's remarkable, isn't it? But where did that fear come from? Well, one huge factor is that Saul was not a man after God's own heart. In reality, Saul was a man after his own heart. You know what he wanted? Saul wanted what was best for Saul. (laughs) Or at least that's what he thought he wanted. And, And you know, that approach to life is all too common today. And it's devastating. I'll give you three characteristics of a man who is after his own heart. Number one, a man after his own heart has trouble letting go of certain things in this world. And maybe not everything, but certain things. It might be his job or a relationship or a lifestyle or a specific behavior. It could be any number of things. A man after his own heart will look at something and say, I don't want to live without that. But when God tells him, to let go or loosen his grip. He just doesn't want to do it. Now, second, a man after his own heart tries to use God instead of pursuing him wholeheartedly. And this type of man may go to church. He he might pray now and then. But for him, the bottom line is this. God is the one you turn to when you want something. Now, eventually, this man grows toward despair and self-destruction. And and you might look at that and think that's an exaggeration. Uh, it's, It's kind of extreme. But I believe the story of Saul is in the Bible for this very reason. It's a cautionary tale to show us the danger of pursuing your own heart above everything else. 
Now that self-destruction, it usually doesn't happen all at once. It usually happens in stages. So let's look at a few stages that Saul went through. Now like I said, uh, when Saul disobeyed that direct order from God, God rejected him as king. And as a result, God sent Samuel to David to anoint David as king, to announce that one day Saul would step down. Somebody was going to take his place. Now, right then, if Saul had been smart, he would have surrendered to God's plan and let go of the throne and all the power that came with it. But we know Saul was a man after his own heart, so he wasn't about to let go. Now, when Saul first met David, he liked him a lot. You know why? David was useful to him. When Saul was really upset, he would call on David because he was a great musician. He played the harp and the lyre. And when David played music, it calmed Saul down. And then after David killed Goliath, Saul used David as a military commander. And and it seemed like this kid just couldn't lose a battle. So for a while, everything's great until Saul enters a new stage. Over time, Saul grows jealous and afraid and angry due to David's success. You see, as David starts racking up these military victories, a certain song became a big hit in Israel. And women especially loved to sing this song. And the lyrics went like this. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Ooh, you know trouble's coming right there, right? Because what happens when the king becomes a has-been and the young general becomes the people's favorite? Well, that's a perfect recipe for a military coup, for the king to be murdered. So here's Saul's response in 1 Samuel 18. Saul was very angry. This refrain, this song, displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, I already pointed out Saul's internal fears, but now we're seeing his inner jealousy and envy. And you know, jealousy and envy are like a cancer. At first, those feelings don't seem like such a big deal. Uh, You you just look at somebody and you want what they have, and you don't have any ill will for that person, really. You just get this mild sense of envy. But that envy can grow and and develop, and before long, you do have ill will for that person. You get happy when they're sad. You're sad when they're happy. You get a little angry when they have success, and you get a little pleased when they fail. And when that's where you find yourself, you're in dangerous territory. And that's where Saul was. His jealousy was mixed up with fear and with anger, and that is a poisonous cocktail. Later on, we read that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Now, once again, this was a perfect opportunity for Saul to say, okay, God is clearly blessing David, so I'll just get on board with his plan. 
and I will bless David too. But Saul is not seeking God's heart, so he moves on to the next stage. And at this point, Saul is willing to destroy David. He crosses a line. Saul decides that he needs to eliminate anyone and anything that would get in the way of his heart's desires. And so he puts David in the most dangerous battle situations, hoping that the Philistines will do his dirty work for him. But that doesn't work. And eventually Saul's ready to kill this young man himself. Uh, one time uh, in Samuel 19, uh, David once again went to Saul to play the harp and calm him down. And that always worked in the past. But this time, an evil spirit came over the king. And Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. And from that point on, killing David becomes an obsession for Saul. He spends years hunting him down like an animal across deserts, into caves, through the enemy territory of the Philistines. But Saul never succeeds. And instead of giving up, instead of realigning with God's plan, he doubles down and his selfish heart enters a stage that's even more sinister. See, for a while, Saul's anger is directed at David, the object of his jealousy. But when his evil desire goes unchecked, anyone nearby is liable to become collateral damage. And that's when Saul becomes willing to destroy his own family. In 1 Samuel 20, Saul is at a nice dinner with his son, Jonathan. Jonathan was David's best friend. David was supposed to be at this nice dinner, but he didn't show up. And Jonathan covers for him. And that doesn't go over very well. In verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, which, by the way, is not a good way to talk about your wife. But he says, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Now, as if that verbal abuse was not enough, look at what happens next. Jonathan says, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul hurled his spear at his own son to kill him. This is such a tragic part of the story. How could a father be willing to kill his own son? I, I can't fathom it. But we need to remember, Saul was not always full of jealousy and rage and fear. He just continued to take steps down a dark path. And he refused to let go of the things that God told him to let go of. You know, this is not just a story from the past. This happens all too often today. I'm sure you can think of someone who has walked down the path of addiction. And in the early stages, you know, that person is just pursuing an object of desire. But eventually, that object, that pursuit, becomes slavery. And then, everything else 
including family, can be sacrificed in the pursuit of that desire. So this is a good time for you to ask a question. What am I pursuing right now? Am I pursuing anything that could lead to slavery? Am I chasing after something that was a good thing, but it became a bad thing when I put it above God? Is God calling me to let go of something, or at least loosen my grip? Keep those questions in mind, because you don't want to enter the final stage of this story. In the end, Saul pursues his own heart until he destroys himself. In the closing chapters of 1 Samuel, Saul has become a desperate man. He occasionally prays to God, but only in the attempt to get something he wants. And God just doesn't speak to him like he used to. His sin has become a barrier to their relationship. And in 1 Samuel 31, the last chapter of this book, Saul fights one last battle against the Philistines. And before this battle, he is frantically asking God if his army will get the victory. But God is silent. So in one of the craziest passages in the whole Bible, Saul visits a witch. He is trying to get inside information by consulting the dead. Now, God had made it very clear that witchcraft is sin. And ironically, Saul himself came down hard against this sin. But now, here he is, completely denying everything that he once stood for, completely opposing the God that he claimed to serve. Soon, Saul would be dead. In the heat of that battle, Saul is seriously wounded. And then in 1 Samuel 31.4, Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. And that's the end of Saul. Instead of submitting to God's plan, Saul chose self-destruction. And you know, we all have the option of walking down that same path. And it's a terrible way to go. That path leads to pain, violence, and death. It leads to the kind of tragedies we see on the news every day. But we do have another option. Instead of pursuing ourselves, we can run after God's heart. And in this part of the story, we see David doing just that. So what does it look like when a man is after God's own heart? Again, I'll give you three characteristics. First, this type of man holds loosely to the things of this world or lets go of them completely. Now, he, he doesn't abandon all goals in life. He works hard. He might accomplish great things, but his career does not define him or control him. And yes, he does appreciate the good things in life, the blessings that he's been given, but he doesn't pursue pleasure through sin. He doesn't pursue pleasure above his family or above his God. At the end of the day, this man pursues God above all else. And that includes his job. 
He pursues God above his hobbies, above his children, above his wife. And because of that pursuit, this man grows to resemble Christ. A Christ-like man loves and protects. He stands up for the truth. He, he is known for his boldness and his humility. He, he's known as a leader of others and also a servant of others. Throughout the story, we see these kinds of qualities in David. Or maybe the most dramatic example is in the desert of Engedi. Uh, David was hiding in the desert in a cave along with uh, some of his loyal men. Now, uh, Saul had brought 3,000 soldiers out to the desert to find and kill David. And it just so happened that Saul's army passed right by the cave where David was hiding. Now, when you are on an important military mission, you don't want to have to stop to go to the bathroom. That's exactly what Saul had to do. Fortunately, he saw this cave nearby. So he turned to his army and he said, guys, uh, hold on for a moment. I'll be right back. He slips into that cave. He has no idea that David is just a few feet away. And David's men say, this is it. This is your chance. Kill him. But David wouldn't do it. Instead, he crept up to Saul and cut off a corner of his robe and then went back into the shadows. The king goes outside the cave and then David emerges. He holds up that piece of the robe and he says, Saul, I will let God avenge for the wrongs you have done me, but my hand will not touch you. And in that action, David is not giving Saul what he deserves. And you know what that's called? It's called mercy. Mercy is showing compassion and forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it. And so, right here, David actually resembles Jesus. Because when Jesus went to the cross and he laid down his life, he was giving us something that we don't deserve. It was mercy. He was making it possible for us to be forgiven, for us to have eternal life. In the end, Jesus is the perfect example of true masculinity. You know, in the Bible, there are a lot of things we're not told about Jesus. For example, uh, we don't know how much Jesus could bench press. Uh, we, we don't know how much he could deadlift. We don't know if other people called him buff or swole. <laughs> but those things are not what makes a real man, right? A real man is defined not by what he can lift up, but by what he can lay down. Jesus laid down his life. And a real man will lay down or let go of the things of this world when God asks him to. A real man knows you should not hold tighter to anything than holding on to God. So as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you and challenge you to focus on one thing. Become a man or a woman after God's own heart. And some of you might see that and say, well, I'm trying to do that. I've, I've been trying to do that, and I just can't be consistent. But we need to realize that we don't have it in us to become like Jesus. We need help. And so here's what you have to do. 
First, you have to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Second, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. And third, you have to connect with other brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk with you on this journey and encourage you and support you. And I know relations like that, relationships like that can be difficult to find. And so that's why here at Plum Creek, we want to help people connect in those relationships. In fact, I'll tell you about a couple opportunities that are happening just in the next uh, couple weeks. First, for men, a week and a half from today, Wednesday, June 16th, we're going to have a men's Bible study that meets at Panera in Cold Spring at 6.30 a.m., which I think will weed out some people. We're just going to read the Bible, pray together, encourage each other. And if you need to grow in becoming a man after God's heart, this is a simple step you can take. Wednesday, June 16th, 6.30 a.m., Panera at Cold Spring. Just show up. For women, uh, a similar Bible study is going to happen on Tuesday nights over in the Life Center at 6.30 p.m. They've got it easy. And that begins June 15th. If you want to know more about these opportunities, just email me, doug at plumcreek.org. We'd be glad to get you connected. We all need support on this journey because it's not always a smooth road. The road was not always smooth for David. Next week, we're going to see that he did not always live like a man after God's own heart. He made some bad decisions. But there was still hope for David just like there's hope for everyone listening right now. Because even if you have walked away from God, even if you are far from Him today, His arms are open. As long as you have breath in this world, He's willing to take you back. So let's do this together. Let's become men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, right now we recognize that you are above all. You deserve the number one place in our lives because you have the number one place in this universe. So Lord, help us to see that more clearly. Help us to make decisions and and build our lives around that truth. Lord, help us lay down everything else that might get in the way of you. Lord, I, I pray for your help in growing in that direction. Pray for our church to grow in that direction. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.